Well, I think that was so important because um, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to a celebration of life ceremony for um, a young friend of mine that I know he was in school and went through some really, you know, just as a youth pastor, you just walk through on this journey with students through some really, really great moments, times of celebration, and then you also go through some really, really difficult um, things. And I, and I wouldn't trade what I've been through for nothing. I love what God has allowed me to be a part of. And this particular young woman was in an um, accident, and she, she, the only number she could remember at the time was my home phone number, back when we used to have those things, home phones, you know, not cell phones. Students might not know what those are. You let your parents explain that to you. And she called my phone number. That's the only thing she could remember, and it, she was in an accident with another friend of hers where her friend ended up dying that night. And she lived, and she struggled for ever since then, sometimes maybe with survivor's remorse, just like, why her and not me? Why life kind of the way that it is? And she's in and out of church, and I watched her go through some really difficult times. And she finally got to this place where she just couldn't take it anymore, and she ended her own life. And it's one of the reasons why I want you to look at the person around you and say, you matter. You, it's not that bad. I mean, it might be hard, but it's not that bad. Like, you matter to me, and we, we want to help each other walk through this time. So I had the opportunity to go yesterday, and uh, it was interesting because I went kind of prepared, but I didn't know if I was going to get an opportunity to speak or not. It wasn't like a, like, I know this morning I'm going to have an opportunity to talk. Like, I, it's, it's, it's set up for me. There's a time scheduled for me to, to speak, and I'm, I'm always honored to have that opportunity. But, la- but yesterday, I didn't know if I was going to or not, but I but I had this, just kind of some thoughts in my mind, and they gave me this chance to stand up on this little ledge, and we were in a barn, this beautiful barn outside of a, a Platte City, kind of on the way to Leavenworth. It's called the Unique Design Barn or something like that. It's really a fascinating place. And so I got up to talk, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, I will never, ever have this opportunity again with all these people in this room. This exact amount of people, this exact group will never be together again. And so the only thing that I could think of to share that brought any kind of difference at all was not my opinion, which I have one, but it was God's word. That's all I had. You know, and luckily, over time, I've been exposed to it enough where I had it in my heart, and I didn't quote it verbatim, like perfectly, you know, but I had God's word in my heart that brought me hope that this young lady had put her hope in Christ when she was younger. I, I was there when she did that. I know she did. I baptized her. So I know she had faith in Jesus. So I know eternally she was set apart and going to be with the Lord. And so I know I had hope in that. So I shared that and I shared some other truths from Scripture. And I was really glad that I had that because my words are empty compared to what God's Word had to say at that particular moment. And I had a lot of great response afterwards. People came up and said, thank you for sharing. And the reason why I share that story with you is to, for one, pray for her family because she leaves a couple siblings behind and a mom and a dad, and she leaves a seven-year-old little boy behind. But they encourage you to pray for them, but also to, to encourage you to make this word a part of your life. And last week, uh, Pastor Brady, the other Pastor Brady, Rogers was here, preached a powerful message. I was so proud of, of, of the, his word and the encouragement that it brought to the people that were here. And um, if you were here, you were blessed by that. 
And so, so then I started thinking, okay, what is it that we believe as a church? So we're going to walk through the belief statements of our church. So if you don't have one of those, did we put them on the, they're on the chair? Yeah, they're on the chairs. So you can grab one of those and you can begin to look at this. And it, if, you, if you think, um, if you've been in churches before and you kind of look, what are their belief statements? This is pretty standard, pretty solid uh, belief statement for a Protestant church, okay? A Protestant church is a church that has broke away from the Roman Catholic church years ago, hundreds of years ago, and they have these things that they believe in, things that they stand for, and the first one is, is the power of Scripture. It's the power of Scripture and the, and the power of the Bible. It's actually, I'll explain it a little bit more in a second, but, but, but so that God's Word is powerful, and we'll look at with some scriptures that talk about what God's Word says about God's Word, but, but for one, I also want to share this, the story, because the Bible is used for um, truth, and it's used for comfort, it's used for correcting. We can misuse God's Word to kind of get our way sometimes, and I really want to be careful about that as a pastor, not to like beat people up with God's Word. Instead, it needs to be love and comforting and encouraging. But sometimes God's word, when it shines its light on us, it's a little painful sometimes. It's like, ooh, ouch, that hurt. And man, now that I read that, I can't pretend like I've never heard that before. Now I've got to do something with that. And then God's word also can be used to, um, I don't romance your wife, maybe. The book of Song of Songs, it's a beautiful scripture there. And a teenage boy, stay away from that book until you get married. Looking at you, Grant, <laughs> it's dangerous. But, you know, so, so husbands can use this word to encourage their wives, maybe write them a little note or something. I'm going to share a story about some friends of mine. I won't tell you who they are. But this husband, newly married husband, he wanted to just like write a little note to his wife and encourage her. Guys, here's some lessons you can learn. I like to write some encouraging notes to your spouse. Newly married guy. So he decides, I'm going to write this, leave this note behind. And what he meant to say was Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. It says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if that's the way it worked in our world today? Like, you're newly married, all right? There's a, some, a couple that I know they're getting married here. So wouldn't that be awesome if you had a full year just to not, stay home, not to go to work, and just to make your wife happy? That would probably be a good thing, because it takes a guy about a year to try to figure that out, how to try to make a woman happy. It takes actually a lifetime, really. But if you had a full year to focus on it, you might get it right, guys, in the first year. So that's what, that's what he wanted to say, and I think that's beautiful, because he said, honey, I just want to be with you um, and just make you happy. Well, he wrote down the wrong address. Instead, he wrote this. If brothers are living together, this is Deuteronomy 25.5. Now, this, is, this man has a brother. And it says this, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Can you see how bad that can go? That is not the same thing. Now, if I'm dead, you're going to have to marry my brother, all right? And he's fulfilled the marital duty. So be careful when you're using God's word. It can be dangerous. It can be really comforting, and it can be dangerous. Well, here's what we believe. You have it, if you have that statement, it says, we believe that the Bible, 
consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is the revelation of God to mankind. It is verbally and fully inspired by God or by Him. In its original manuscripts, the Scriptures are without error and therefore the only infallible guide for Christian faith and life. We believe the Bible is, supreme, is the supreme revelation of God's will for all mankind. In this, this moving away from years ago, when, the, when like Martin Luther in the Lutheran church, and they were like, look, the Bible has more to say. And we're, not, we're not getting the whole story. And they began to pull away from the Roman Catholic church. They, they followed this thing called sola scriptura, which means by Scripture alone. And it's the doctrine that the Bible contains all knowledge necessary for salvation and holiness. Like, the Bible is complete. Everything you need to know is in here. You don't, it doesn't have to be filtered through, through a priest or through a pastor. Everything you need to know is right here. Like, if for some reason you couldn't ever get back to church, you couldn't ever hear another message, the Bible is enough. The Word of God is enough. Now, the thing that it doesn't offer you, though, is the encouragement and the love and the being able to look at each other and say you matter. You, you don't get that personal thing, and that's important, and we'll talk about that later when we talk about the church, but the Bible is sufficient. So what does the Bible have to say about the Bible? I'll just share some Scripture verses with you real quick. We won't, you don't have to turn to all of them, or if you want to write notes or something like that, you can. Well, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's given to us by God. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's, it's everything that we need so that we will be thoroughly equipped. It gives us the tools that we need so that we can be equipped to do the work that God has for us to do says that in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of God is alive and it's active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart to me isn't it amazing sometimes I don't know if you've had this experience and I hope someday that you do is that when you you happen to be reading something or someone sends you something online you get a devotional or whatever and you're like that's exactly what I needed for today because, because the Bible is not dead. It moves and it has its place. And it, it's like, because it says it's alive and active, it, it's almost like it puts itself in the right place at the right time so that it gives you the encouragement that you need. Now, if you've not had that experience, I encourage you to not give up, to look and expose yourself to it. Sometimes the first thing you have to do is just open it. Expose yourself to it enough and you'll begin to see that it is alive. It's not dead. And then it says that it, judges our thoughts and our attitudes we're afraid of that sometimes we're afraid of what it's going to say about the things that we're thinking or our attitudes and we're and we're we kind of shy away from the correction but the correction is good for us it's healthy for us and so i want to encourage you to expose yourself to that in ephesians it says that you should take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so if you look at the it talks about this armor of god in in ephesians chapter six this is the only offensive weapon that it that it talks about is God's word, once again, is a sword. And we use it as a, as a, as a weapon to, to defeat the enemy, to live in this life that God's called us to live. Psalm 19, last week we looked at Psalm 119. Psalm 19 says the word of God is, 
And I'll just paraphrase it real quick. The word of God is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, more precious than gold, and sweeter than honey. And by this word, it says, your servant is warned, and in obeying his word, there is great reward. So what is the, the reward? Your soul is refreshed. You grow in wisdom. You receive joy in your heart and light in your eyes. Blessings that are righteous that will endure forever. That is the blessing that comes. But James says that do not merely listen to the words. This is James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who, look, who listens to the word does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and it says immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And then one of my favorite ones is in Romans chapter 10 where it says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, have you ever wondered, like, how did the, um, how did we even get the Bible? Like, how did it come to be? Like, there are so many different versions, translations of the Bible right now, but how did it get here? How did it get into our hands? Well, we don't have enough time to, like, do an exhaustive study, but there's some really interesting things. For one, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament it are 39 books, and that's what they are. They're books written, and they're all com compiled together. The New Testament is 27. And it says they were all, at one point in time, like back in 367 AD, they were canonized or brought into this, this concise list of the books that were approved. So a canon would be something like um, a measuring stick, a standard, if you will. They would say, all right, in order for this book to be included, it must meet these requirements. It has to be, a, it, we have to know who the author is, the authenticity of the writings, does it match with everything else, does it, is it a good fit? And, they, and this council looked at these things and said, these books match, these books measure up, and they were placed into this canon. And that's how we ended up with the, these, these books. So for one, the Old Testament, like I said, 39 books, written primarily in Hebrew over a span of 1,000 years. The earliest, it says, was 1,500 years before Christ. Some scholars even suggest that maybe Job was the first book ever written, but it doesn't come in the can, it doesn't come like that, but some say that's maybe this case. And the last one in the Old Testament was written maybe around 400 years before Jesus came. One divine author, the Holy Spirit, and a variety of human authors. And some people think, well, the Old Testament today is irrelevant because it's back then. But really the truth is it's invaluable because it's the revelation of God to his people. It's, a, it's, it's this revealing of who God is. The, the Old Testament is a real book about real history that happened to real people, just like us. We're real people, and real events are happening to us right now. It says it was transmitted and copied through scribes, so it was this verbal word, and people wrote it down over years, and we have to be indebted to those people who, who tirelessly copied God's word. And then it was translated through servants, translated into a language that we can that we can understand. The first um, Old Testament book that was written into an everyday language was called the Septuagint, which actually was written into a Greek um, language so that the, it was a modern-day language of the time so the people could read it and understand it. And it says the purpose of this book 
was to point to the day when God would redeem his people for his kingdom and establish his reign over all creation. Ultimately, it comes down to this. This book, it points to Jesus, it talks about Jesus, and it points to the time when Jesus will come back. You can sum it up just like that. That's what it's about. Turn, to, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. So this is Old Testament writing pointing towards Jesus. I know this seems a lot like a history class or more like a class, but I think it's, it's just good to know. Isaiah chapter 11. This is a prophet who wrote and pointed us towards Jesus. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The important thing to know is Jesse was King David's father. And from David's family would come this branch that will bear fruit. And speaking of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the, of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. With his words or with his mouth, it says he will strike the earth. And with his breath, he will slay the wicked. But the Old Testament was an incomplete story. But just stop there. We wouldn't get the rest of the story. So there was a, year, a period of time of 400 years, they believe. It's called the intertestamental period where there was... There is silence from God. There were some other works written back then. A lot of things were still being written, a lot of stories, a lot of um, things that people were writing down and copying down. It was, they actually have a word for, for this particular work. It was called the Apocrypha. And in some Bibles, even until about 120 years ago, some Bibles still included those extra works. But it was, I think, 120 years ago or so, even in the Protestant Bibles, they decided that that they didn't match the canon, and they were taken away. They're still out there, but we don't have them in our Bible. Unless you have a Catholic Bible. You might have extra books in the Catholic Bible. So 400 years of silence, then just at the right time. This is where, I just want you to grab onto this. Just at the right time. God's timing is always perfect. It doesn't sometimes fit our timing, right? or our expectation, or what we would love to see, or what we want to happen. But God's timing has always been perfect. So I want to ask you a question, and you can answer this. When has there been a time in your life when God's timing just showed itself perfectly to you? So think about it just for a moment. Maybe there's hundreds of examples. Maybe there's only one that you can come up with right now. But what are... Tell me a time when God's timing was perfect for you. And when you think about it, share it out loud. And I'll repeat it so we can get it on the microphone. <laughs> and get it on the recording. Okay, we're family. We're a small group. It's okay. So when was the time when God's perfect, or God's timing was perfect? 
So even in death, God's timing. Birth, there you go. So you got the, the bookends of that. Birth of someone, um, death of a family member, and how that, that all came about. Um, it's, it's interesting. A new career. So I was thinking of provision, right? Like God's timing and providing something for you right when you needed it. Like at just the right time, this ended and, I, and this came about. Um, Oh, okay, yeah, so you read God's word, you get some hope, and then you give it away to somebody else, and you're like, oh, that was a timely word. I needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that at that particular moment. And I think sometimes we're afraid to share, right? Because we're afraid, well, not sure. that's probably not God. It's maybe just me thinking that, like, well, I'm going to try this anyway. I think really God wants you to hear this, and you share a, a Bible verse or whatever, and they're like, whoa, that was amazing. Like, thank you for sharing. Phone call from a friend. How many of you have seen God just show up in miraculous ways when it comes to provision like food or money or just at the right time and you needed something? It's like, you're like, I don't know what we're going to do. Have you ever had that happen? Yes. Yesterday, I, um, I get a phone call from a friend. He said, hey, we have something for you. We're going to leave it at your house. I was like, okay. I was thinking some food or something like that, some groceries or whatever. And... Uh, and my wife, it's, it's been kind of a difficult time financially. So we've been praying, and God just, God just shows up in his perfect timing and his provision. And I, uh, I get home, and there was an envelope, like, in between our screen door and our regular door. Sweetheart, come on in. That's right. It's my daughter, you send you. <laughs> come on in. Have a seat. And earlier in the week, we had gotten a card in the mail. Someone had given us some money, and I was like, oh, man, thank you, Lord. That was per that's perfect timing. Well, then we, we get to the door. I open it up. There's this envelope, and it's an envelope, and I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. Probably not money in it because they just leave it here with the two doors, you know. But I open it up, and it says, being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and there was five $100 bills. And you're like, how can I get on on this? <laughs> Tell me the secret. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the secret, and I'll share it. It comes from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to just briefly go through Philippians 4 real quick for you. This is God's word. It says, do not be anxious, like when you're in need, but pray. Not just pray, but be thankful. You'll find all of these in Philippians chapter 4. Be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. God's peace that transcends all understanding actually guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says, be content in every circumstance. If you have a lot, be thankful and be content if you have a lot. If you have little, be thankful and be content that you have what you have. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And it goes on to say, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. To be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't really know how any other way to live. And when I try to get outside of that, and try living it on my own and trying to fix it myself, it's just more worry and more toil for me. And it doesn't seem to work as well. That does not say be lazy and just sit around and wait, God, wait for God to take care of your needs. I think it says... 
to, to be proactive and to be working and to be serving and to be just being content, be thankful, be praying, and God just supplies all of your needs. And it's according to his glory. And I've seen this played out over and over and over again in my life. And it never ceases to amaze me. I never get to the place where like, okay, God, that's enough. Stop blessing me. I can't take it anymore. No, I never get tired of that. My kids never get tired of me buying them things. I've never had my kids say, Dad, that's enough. All right, stop loving me. Just cut it out. Right? Is that true? All right, got to get some confirmation over there from my girls. All right? I never stop them telling me that they, that they appreciate. And I, I never get tired of God providing. Now, there are times where, God, I wish I had some extra money where I didn't have to feel this way, but I never want to get outside of just trusting God. I never want to get away from that. There's something about living in that way. All right, so let's jump back to the, the New Testament. 400 years of silence. The people are in, the ch- in church, basically. They're in the synagogue, and they're waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for their Savior, right? They're waiting for the Messiah, the promised one. They're waiting for Isaiah chapter 11 to be fulfilled. It says out of this branch or out of this root of Jesse, this branch is going to come. Where is he? And there were desperate times. They needed more than some money to, to, to take care of some things. They needed a Savior, and they're waiting for the Messiah to come. So, New Testament, 27 books, one author, that is... God, right, the Holy Spirit, but he writes through approximately nine human authors. It is it's so timely because it's written in the everyday language called the Koine Greek. It's written in a language where everybody there could understand it. Isn't it important to have the Bible, a translation where you can understand it? Where you can get, I mean, we are so incredibly spoiled now because I have access to hundreds of translations of the Bible right here in my hand. And back then, it wasn't that way. The, tran- the manuscripts that they had were all written on scrolls, and they were all very well protected. But you couldn't have access to them. You couldn't just say, hey, can I check that, that, um, that book out, and I'll just bring it back here later on? No. <laughs> you had to go to have it read. You had to go to church to listen to it, or the synagogue to have it read to you. In history, uh, just a side note, in history... When the Bible was first starting to be printed, you know the first book ever to be printed was a Bible. In, it was printed in Germany, and it was printed in the language of Latin. The first book ever to be printed in 1450, I think, was a Bible. Isn't that it's fascinating to me? And then much later, it obviously was, was printed in the language that we can understand, printed in English. But for a while, the Bibles were so big and they were so rare. They were like 16 inches tall and like 7 inches thick. They were so big, they were chained to the pulpit in the church. And that's, and that's the only way you could get access to the Bible. That's fascinating, isn't it? Like, you come in, the Bible's chained to the pulpit. And you just open it up and you read for that day or whatever. And then you put it back and you leave again. That's, that's how treasured the Bible was. And then, obviously, through technology, they were able to print um, the Bible so we can all have access to it. But, they, but somewhere around 20-some hundred different languages still have yet to have a Bible printed in their language in the world we live in today. And yet, here we are. We have access to it unlike anybody else in the whole world. 
So we should take that advantage of that, right? We should take advantage of that. So it's written in this language everybody can understand. In the New Testament, there are 1,600 references to the Old Testament. You think the Old Testament is not necessary? It's valuable. They got their inspiration from that. It's the revelation of God, the pointing of Jesus. So then Jesus comes onto the scene. They start writing about Jesus. We hear the Gospels. We hear the stories of Jesus. The New Testament was written over 100 years. They say around 100 years. It was written in the form of story. It was written in the form of letters. And then the very last book is a revelation of what is to come. It tells us about Jesus' life and ministry, which is crucial. It tells us about Jesus who was literally the Word made flesh. Think about it this way. Jesus embodied everything that the Bible stands for in his human flesh, fully God, fully man, and he comes and he lives it out to demonstrate the Bible for you and me and tells us, this is what the Bible, this is how you should live. Word made flesh and he dwelt among us. The Word of God with feet. (laughs) It's pretty amazing stuff. The Bible is, is accurate because of a few reasons, and obviously it's divine revelation from God, but it's accurate because it's first-hand accounts, like the New Testament especially, first-hand accounts of what happened, historical accuracy. The New Testament was written from thousands of manuscripts, more than any other book ever written. There's more evidence of the New Testament and the life of Jesus than any other book ever written on the face of the earth. But yet we still doubt it today. People still say it doesn't have any relevance to me. It still, it still not, doesn't change my life. But it is the most well-studied, well-written book to ever exist. Matter of fact, the King James Version Bible is the, the most printed book ever in the world. Any other book ever. Two billion copies or something crazy like that. The content is accurate. So here's what God's word has to say about this, and we'll finish up with this. Look at John chapter 20. John 20. So I want you to turn there if you have your a Bible with you. John 20, starting at verse 30. Still her page is turning. I'll let you get there. One of the best tools we have today to study the Bible is, is Google. If you're not sure where a verse is, just Google it, and it'll tell you exactly where to go, and it'll give you study notes to go along with it. It's pretty fascinating. So listen to this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, or by believing, you may have life in His name. These things were written so you may have life in His name by believing in Jesus. Turn over to John 21. The very last few verses in the book of John. Alert, alluding to the, uh, the, the historical accuracy or the first-hand accounts. This is what the disciple says who wrote this book. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down 
we know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But yet, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was compiled into a list of 66 different books. God's revelation to us. Pointing to Jesus. Telling us about Jesus. Giving us, giving us um, wisdom and, and words to live by. Giving us direction for the church. How is the church supposed to function? How are we as people supposed to live? How am I, as a husband, supposed to love my wife? How, am, how as, uh, as a father, how am I supposed to love my kids? How as an employee am I supposed to work and serve? How as a student am I supposed to learn? How as a child am I supposed to respect my parents? Given to us by God through the Holy Spirit, written through men, and some would say, well, what if those men were wrong? The Bible testifies that it's true. It does not, it does not, um, can, not what's, what I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? It is accurate and it does not, um, come on, help me out. What am I looking for? What's the word? Contradict itself. You say, oh yeah, the Bible well, it contradicts itself. Show, it, show that to me. Here's the thing. We, we want to believe that's true so that we don't have to believe this is true. Because once we begin to believe it's true, then we have to live in the lens of that. And then the light starts to shine. Jesus says he was the word made flesh and he dwelt among us. And he says he was the light that came into the world. And people didn't want to see the light because it started to expose the things that they were doing. And it's real to us. When we start to read it and start to live it, it starts to expose how we're living. And sometimes it means it wants to correct us. And we say, no, I don't want to be corrected. But when we say no to the correction, we miss out on the joy. We miss out on the peace and the provision and the not having to be anxious and not having to worry. We miss out on all the blessings that come through his word if we choose not to. And we've got to be careful about that. We have to be open to what is it saying to us. So what are we doing right now? We're doing what the early believers were doing before the New Testament even became to be, and that is we're waiting, right? We're waiting for the Messiah to come back. He's given us revelation. He's told us how to live and how to prepare for it, but we're still waiting. Here we are in the synagogue. I mean, we're in church. We're at the YMCA, but we're in church, and we're waiting. Still waiting. And Jesus says, I've, I've given you everything that you need for godliness. I've given you everything that you need to know. And it's available for you right now. And Jesus is calling right now on the phone. He wants us to answer. And he wants us to pick up. But the reality is he is. He's calling for us right now. He's saying, pick up. Answer. Listen to what I have to say. Don't, don't put this away and not pay attention to what it says. If you have a smartphone, you have access to it 24-7. And so we wait. So let's pray while we're waiting. As the worship team comes. These things were written, and we thank you, Father, for writing them. 
Not so that we could feel guilty about our life or feel condemned because we're not living the right way, but they're written for us to have hope. Yeah, there is correction that needs to come, and it, and it corrects me every time I open it up to teach it. I have to deal with stuff in my life. And I'm thankful, God, that you are so willing and so patient with me. And you're willing to forgive and you give grace. Your, your Bible talks about, about this love that is, that is um, everlasting. It's, uh, it's never changing. It's, there's, it says in your Bible that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Even when we feel like we've failed you so many different times in so many different ways, nothing can separate us from your love. That's in here. It's in your book. And maybe this morning, we need to be reminded of that today. You give us this word because you love us and you want the best for us. You want light to come to our eyes and peace to come to our hearts. I pray that you would um, just compel us to want to know your word. We can't eat it all at once, God. It's too big. (laughs) But we can eat it a bite at a time, a day at a time, just exposing ourselves to it. Actually asking for your direction. It says it's a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. We can present ourselves before your word and before you and and you'll want you want to guide us god you want to you don't want us to stumble around in darkness any longer people were walking in darkness and then they saw a great light they saw jesus the word of god made flesh and he came and dwelt among us and and jesus now you give us the holy spirit to to remind us of this word to Teach us what it says to remind us all the things that you taught Jesus. And we're waiting for you today. Waiting for you to come into our circumstance, to our life, to comfort us. Maybe we're waiting this morning to convince, to be convinced that we need to believe in your son Jesus so that we can have life that lasts forever. Whatever it is that we're, that we are waiting for today. I pray that you'd meet us here. Bless us as we as we worship you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you once again for being here this morning. We do appreciate you guys coming. I mean, we're here for you. So if you didn't come, I guess we would just sing together and that'd be it. <laughs> but no, we're excited that you're here. And so if you did come prepared to give today, we give you that opportunity as you, as you, as you leave. That's what the offering baskets are for. Plus, if you're new and you've never filled out an information card, those are really, really important um, for us. Important to me because I want to know uh, who you are. I want to know that you're here. I want to know your address so I can write you an encouraging note just to say thank you for being here. And so that's an opportunity to do that on the way out. Hey, listen, you don't have to run off. Unless you got things to do. The Chiefs don't play till later, all right? I don't know when the Royals play. But, but, we, but we, have, we have till 12, 15 before we have to be out of this place. And so we decided that if you want to stay around, if you need prayer, you need somebody to pray with you, then ask. Say, hey, you know, I just need someone to pray with me. we got some stuff going on. Don't miss that opportunity. That'd be sad if you came and you didn't have, like, hey, someone told me I mattered today, but I never really, I, I didn't get prayed for today. We don't want that to happen.
So hang around, visit. We got a few cookies left um, over there. And, um, and so, yeah, just enjoy being together. But if you need to go, that's, that's okay too. We, we understand. Right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, give it up for the worship team, are they? It's amazing. Yeah. They, uh, they just make me better because I'm like, man, they're good, so I got to bring something because if I show up and I'm lame, it's like worthless. So anyway, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you being here. So thank you so much. Be blessed and uh, stay around and visit if you want to.